This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Mooduck Brewing Company. Mike and Kristen Brubaker are joining us for the podcast. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited. So this is this is for me driving out to Elizabethtown. I love the area. We don't get out here enough, but it gives me time to ramp up my excitement, and I can't wait to hear what we talk about on the podcast. I tell people about Moo Duck, and I want to introduce Moo Duck to the world. I think you guys are doing a phenomenal job brewing your beer and what you do as far as your food program and everything else. Talk about how for you and Mike, for, for Chris and Mike, and you guys, how did you get started? How did all this get started? It's, it's the pretty common story. You probably have heard a bunch of times on your adventures. But, uh, yeah, I started homebrewing. I've never uh, heard that before. I know, yeah, right? <laughs> so it was a, uh, a birthday present a long time ago. And, uh, so a brewing kit was a birthday kit. present? Yeah, okay. it was just your basic homebrewing brewer's kit. Do you remember uh, what it was? Yeah, so it was... Well, the, the kit was just like a brewer's best kit, and uh, I think the first actual beer we made was a pale ale. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Did it turn out well? <laughs> I thought it was good. Uh, Kristen had some other opinions, perhaps. I thought it was chunky. It was chunky. a little chunky, yeah. a little, you know, dry hopping it, you know, got a little uh, messy into the bottle, but it was, it was still pretty good, and that's kind of what set the... Uh, Set the sale from there. And that was um, 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Now, this is 14 years ago. The home brewing scene wasn't really what it is today. The offerings of what you could buy as home brewer kits and the, the materials and the equipment. So this is probably something a little more rudimentary than what you would get today if you started out, right? Yeah, we were lucky that uh, we found a pretty good homebrew store pretty much right from the start. She had one very close to her work that uh, had some pretty good supplies and... Uh, they actually moved to a different location, so it wasn't as convenient for us anymore. And then we found the Lancaster Humber store. From the start, he had everything you would ever need for any recipe or anything you want to do. He was His store was really good. So we were fortunate that we had a local Humber store that was well-equipped and pretty much had anything we needed. I'm curious. That first experience was that. Eh, it was a little chunky. 
made you move on to the next one? Or what was it to say, did you like the process? Because that's really more what it is than the outcome. Well, I think that's what hooks any brewer who decides to continue doing it is the the combination of it being something scientific, which I do have a kind of a natural history background and environmental science background. So the scientific side of it was certainly interesting to me. And then the other thing was, you know, I'm a fairly creative guy, so the creative side was really interesting for me as well. So combining those two together, it just, it hooked me in. I should say we did do a little bit of homebrewing before that initial first batch. Years ago. Um, I worked at a nature camp in Tennessee, and uh, it was a church-run facility, and the uh, pastor who was the resident there was actually the first person who I ever homebrewed with. So we went down to the camp. So I thought you were going to say maybe you were making some some of your own wine. (laughs) No, we went down to the uh, camp kitchen one night, and he said, you want to learn how to make beer? I said, that sounds fantastic. And so I did a batch with him and didn't really think much about it. Um, Fast forward a couple years later, we were in the Poconos where the two of us met, and one of the uh, staff members there, one of our coworkers, was a was a home brewer. So we learned a, a couple batches from him as well, and uh, that kind of just stuck always in the back of my head. And one year, I said for my birthday, I want I want the kit. So it started off as you know, once a month, you know. You wasn't well, once. It was, when the, you're when shaking the, your head, Kristen. <laughs> it was once a month, but it was in the kitchen. Right. Okay. Yeah. So messy. Okay. Pretty much whenever a beer would get bottled, we'd brew another beer right away. And yeah. uh, so, you know, she didn't like how messy the kitchen was getting, perhaps. So we went all grain and got our better equipment and outside equipment with big burners and, and that whole thing. And it went from, I guess, once a month to quickly escalating to and then it turned into it turned into (laughs) orders requests from family and friends to brewing for big events brewing brewing oh so for people's weddings that's really complimentary to you to say that you have people now placing orders Mm. for beer when all you're really doing this is a hobby for you right or did you see this as a business or it was a hobby at first there was no even remote thought of making it a business and then i think as it kind of escalated into that where i was brewing so often and People requesting for their weddings, and I also started to enter some homebrew competitions at that time, and, and doing very well in those. So it was a whole kind of combination of everything that was happening. I'm already putting so much time and effort into it. We're actually making some sales for some people's weddings, and just random requests for some of our beers. And uh, and then when I started doing well in the competitions, I confirmed, you know, you, you're going over to your friend's house, giving them free beer. They're going to say, "Oh, this is great," you know. But the competition side of it confirmed. And the fact that they were willing to, to buy it then also confirmed to at least a certain degree. Yeah, that it's, we're it's no longer free. Thing. Now I have to yeah. pay for it? All right, I'll pay for it, right? <laughs> so all those things combined is what made us think, I guess it was probably about 2012, that, yeah. you know, let's, let's start at least exploring whether we can make this a business or not. Now exploring. What was the exploration process? Because you opened the doors at 2014. Yeah, so... And it, I mean, there's a lot we, of research that went into it because... Yeah. We, I mean, neither one of us, know, you know, know anything about running a business. We never did it before, so there's that aspect of it, and then there's just everything that goes into the legalities of, of opening a brewery. So we did a lot of research before. So I would say there was a year of research and putting together kind of a business plan of sorts, and then once we got everything in a row and we figured, well, we're going to try this, we fun. wanted to stay in our hometown, so it took us probably another... I don't know, six months before we found a location yeah. here in our hometown. I told him if we're doing this, suitable. it has to be any town. Like, I'm not, we're not traveling, you know, to go back and forth because we both still work 
Yeah, the, for the first eight months, I still worked a full-time job of about 60 hours a week. And, and then, then you were here, brewing. Brewing, and then wow. coming here and bartending. You know, the, for the first year, basically, we did everything. We did everything. You know, we bartended, we brewed, we did the food, we did literally everything and maintained our side jobs. How was it that you found this location? How did we find this one? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. So we... Because you're right across the street from the Amtrak station. Yeah, right. And literally, and as we were talking before the podcast, I have to remember that we could just take a train up. Yep. You're 100 yards yeah, away yeah. from the train yeah. and then go back home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we found this exact place. We had looked at a couple other places. Um, one place we were actually starting to have some talking of moving forward and maybe signing a lease. And then they, they kind of backed out and decided they wanted to do their own thing a little bit. And ironically, that's the same building now that Funk Brewing is in downtown. So it was kind of funny that it ended up being a brewery anyway. Well, no. In the long run. But, tap room. Well, tap room. But, uh, but we looked at another place downtown that we just wouldn't have been feasible. Subway, yeah. There was a subway, which we could have probably had a pretty nice kind of front of house, but really would have been, looking back on it now, very unreasonable to brew in. I mean, we were thinking at the time it could have been okay to brew in, but at the knowing what we know now, yeah. you know, we would have outgrew that location yeah. Unbelievably. So talk about that because the size and the capacity I see on your social media that you've expanded some of your fermentation tanks, right? And yeah. some of your brewing capacity? Yeah, so we started out, um, one of the things that actually makes us really unique is we hand build everything in the back. So I remember brewing, the tour, Chris was really proud of that. Yeah. She really was. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's unique. You know, most people, you know, work with the manufacturer to, to kind of figure out what they need and, and they buy their, their system from them where we pretty much found some used equipment that was not made for brewing and, and made it kind of retrofitted to work for brewing. So. I work for a vanilla extract company. So the equipment in the back is old vanilla tanks and such. So so they uh, yeah. essentially had a stainless steel graveyard of sorts that we were able to just kind of go through and they weighed it and whatever the price of stainless steel was at the time, that's how much we paid for it all. And then luckily we have a, one of our co-owners... And uh, good friends of ours for a long time uh, is a welder, and he it was able pays to, to have those skills. He doesn't was it? Uh, he was able to help fabricate. He, yeah, he you know, everything in the yeah. back. You know, so I, I said as the brewer, like these are kind of the things I'm kind of interested in having, and he's like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. How was it for you for taking that process of were you starting on a one barrel system doing it at home? Yeah, so we started. So at home, it was only five. I, I never graduated above five gallons at home. Okay. So from the five gallons at home, our first brewing system here, and we still use this original system, is a about a one and a half barrel. So we're doing roughly forty-five to fifty gallons a time on that system, and we brewed with that probably for I don't know the first year and a half or so before we realized that. I mean, I would have to brew all day, every day, in order to keep up. So Yeah, because when you said you were here for eight months at a time, 60 hours at work, bartending, cooking, cleaning, brewing beer. Saturday basically was a long brew day where I brewed as much as as many batches as we needed to do in that day. You know, I banged it out all, we thought, all day Saturday. I don't know what we were thinking. That he would, <laughs> it would be at least a year of him working, you know, before Mudok would be on its feet enough to pay him a salary. <laughs> In order to pay our mortgage and all that, but it didn't. Yeah, it only lasted. I thought it was six months, but so maybe eight months. No, it was eight months. And then he just stopped working, and just went full time here. And now he brews like you know three days a week. That had to have been such a great. When you looked at each other at the time, I mean, what were some of the besides the winning the awards? What were some of the opportunities where you looked at each other and you knew you were on to something? I would say 
a lo- in the first once we got past the first six months of being open, once we got into a, a real core group of right. of customers, regulars who are, are now friends. So you go through the kind of ebb and flow. You know, when you first open, you're the new thing, so you're packed. And then, you know, when you're not the new thing anymore, everybody's kind of come check you out. You know, all of a sudden your numbers start dropping again. And then from there, it just steadily grew and grew and grew. And it just became a it became a a real meeting place for a lot of uh, local people because we were the only brewery in this town for over a year. Uh, so we got a lot of compliments of it being, you know, feeling like a coffee shop, you know, that just happens to have beer. And, and we just added a good core group of people that were... It's really what our mojo even continues to be today. Now, that core group has continued to grow, obviously, and we get some great folks, you know, from the Philadelphia and Harrisburg areas who come to visit us and stuff. But, uh, but because we became well-known, we, from the start, with our charity programs and and giving back to the local community, that... We became well known for that in the area. Yeah, it's a community meeting place. It's a community is really place. Really, what our yeah. our mojo continues to be and what our niche is. is I just yeah. We're a comfortable. You know, no TV. You can talk to your neighbor place where you can sit and enjoy a good beverage and yeah. meet up with friends. I like lately, especially. I find myself when I'm behind the bar, just looking around, and it just makes me so happy to see that the groups of the friendships that have been formed here that the people didn't know each other until they met at Mudok. And there's lots of friendships. Lots of people like that. Yeah, that they, you know, they meet here and they all talk and everybody knows each other. It's almost like, cheers. Well, yeah. I mean, that's okay. Yeah. And But but I love the recognition for yeah. you to stand back for a second and just take it in yeah. and, and realize the, like, you mentioned from the beginning, you really didn't have any business sense or you had not run businesses. But for that idea... Yeah. You guys are you guys are running a business and you're doing very well at it. Yeah, yeah. For me, I think the first time I realized that this is going to work was uh, so we opened in November. It would have been the Memorial Day weekend when we had our first uh, Big Sit Summer Ale release party. So for that, we created this event where people were, you know, the beer release is obviously part of it, but we had a like a Hawaiian shirt theme night as well, and. Uh, that night when we were, you know, you don't know, are people going to show up wearing a Hawaiian shirt or not? And yeah, but so that's the, a pretty, it's not like you're asking them to come in like right. like, like, like bikini night. Right. I mean, it's, right. uh, Hawaiian but shirts are safe ones. You know, with like the, within the first hour, you looked around and like everybody in the place was wearing Hawaiian shirts. So yeah. We're like, oh my God, this is, you know, a lot of fun. And so yeah. that's kind of one of the first aha moments. And that was one of our first like really jam-packed nights we had in a little while. So that was the time where I was like, you know, we got something here. Well, that and then the, the rotary thing. That was within a year. What within a year of opening, we started hosting uh, rotary meetings here. So that, that's not as good rotary meeting. There's a yeah, that's a great oh, rotary. They call it the, the happy hour <laughs> rotary. Yeah. So uh, quite a few of our initial. Um, yeah, they were trying to get us to join for a long time. And wanted we, us to join Rotary, but then they also started, they all came here. They had a 12 o'clock Friday meeting and, you know, working the other job. And, and here it was not feasibly for us to go. possible for us to go. So we're like, we'd like to join, but it's And they were like, let's, you know, they were throwing around an idea of having an evening meeting, which is unheard of. And it would be Monday night. So they would come here and have a meeting about a meeting. So we <laughs> <laughs> opened up for we them on the Monday nights. The and then it turned into... So, we started it, and it was like seven people, and now we get up to 40 on Monday nights, every Monday. So, we don't even, we're don't we not open to the public on Monday. We're just open for Rotary. 
And uh, it's turned, it made the rotary median age drop like 20 years because it's all the people that wor- you know work during the day and can't go to all lunch. Right, so meeting. if you're listening to the podcast now and your rotary is struggling, you're giving them the blueprint <laughs> to improve rotary. Yep. Yeah, we other ro- actually, other uh, rotary clubs come here to see what the Monday night meeting is like. Right. Yeah. yeah, we get a lot of people who come because they've heard about how much the E-Town Rotary Club has grown their membership with this alternative. They call it an alternative, alternative meeting. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we went from about, you know, like an 80-member club to, I think, 125 or 130-member yeah. club now. That's so cool. Yeah. Mostly because of the Monday night meeting. Yep. You mentioned your charity program. Talk a little bit about that and how that came to be. Well, we have a, a couple th- different things we do. The one thing is that we always have a beer on tap that's charity beer. So 50, 50 cents from all of it sold will then go to whatever the charity is. Uh, and, we, and that was really big in the beginning. Yeah, we, they would, well, I think what, the reason we started that was, again, we talked about how we're a sense of community here. And that's right. really the atmosphere we've created. And we thought to ourselves, if we're going to be this community meeting space, you know, we needed to find a way to get back the community so that's kind of where the right idea of the charity program came from is just a way to thank the community for supporting us and to be able to support you know mostly it's a nonprofit of some kind it's within the community so you know anywhere from four months to six months they'll be on tap and for every time somebody orders the beer that they chose and right. you know they get money in their pocket. They get a check. That's awesome. <laughs> and we also and then now that people know that about us we we host a lot of charity days we have one coming up in July, which is for Drew, right? Mm-hmm. Where they'll bring in, you know, we'll be open to the public, but there'll be a good group of the people that are here for that charity, and a percentage of the total sales for the entire day will then go to that charity. And we do that a lot. We do that, and we just, we're just always giving money away. <laughs> we're just, we're givers. <laughs> I think that's a very nice testimony to you, the community you're building, and the result. Because if it wasn't genuine and it wasn't authentic... I think people here in your community would yeah. see through that very yeah. easily. My question for you is, which is probably what's been on a lot of people's mind, Moo Duck. <laughs> and I know it's an amazing story, and, and I've held off on asking, but talk about how your brewery got its name. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we mentioned it briefly that we were both environmental educators in a former lifetime. We met in an environmental education so, center. Uh, <laughs> As part of being the nature educators, of course, you know, we're very much into the outdoors. And and uh, so along the way, I became a pretty good bird watcher um, to the point now where... Now, what... I don't mean to take away from it, <laughs> but what does somebody need to develop a skill to become a pretty good bird watcher? Uh, you know, you just kind of have the passion to be out there looking for birds. Okay. Um, I don't know if there's really a technique you, you had or the way no, you sneak up no on like them. No, technique or... I mean, certainly... You know, you have to have some kind of skill where you can see something, and if you don't know what it is, to be able to remember that, and then future, go back and look in a book, or, you know, you got to have pretty good hearing, because a lot of times you'll hear it before you even see it, and that'll be your kind of cue to, to find it, but... Uh, so you became a pretty good bird watcher. I became a pretty good bird watcher to the point where uh, there was an event run by the New Jersey Audubon Society called the World Series of Birding, and it sounds like a big, fancy competition, which it actually is. Um, there's teams literally from all over the country who come and, and participate in this uh, event. But for the most part, and the reason why we ended up joining was it was a fundraiser for the, the nature center we were working at at the time. So much like a walkathon or something like that, where they pledge, you know, for every mile you walk, we'll give you a quarter or whatever. For every bird species you find that particular day, they give you, you know, things. So it's 
it was a way for us to to raise money for the nature center. And uh, would it be in bad taste to see if they gave you a, a bucket of fried chicken if you found a bird? <laughs> right, Is that bad? Right. <laughs> but uh, so I don't know. We were probably what twenty three, twenty four. So we were pretty young at the time. And uh, when I looked up what other teams' names and such were for this event, you know, they picked pretty generic. Eagles. You know, the Eagles or the Plovers or the Falcons, you know. So we didn't want to have just like a name like that. We wanted to kind of stick out in the crowd a little bit. So we had a Russian intern at the time who every time we would be burning or, you know, having a time joking around and stuff, he always called us Moo Ducks. Moo Duck. So it's obviously some kind of Russian word, and, and we will not share exactly what that word means or, or is today, perhaps. But, but in uh, our group of friends then, they all would just, everything was, you're, you know, Mudok this, Mudok that, they're all Mudoks. Is there a way to dance around it without saying what it means <laughs> to kind of give the impression of what it might our, be? Our late what? <laughs> a derogatory statement to someone's intelligence. A derogatory <laughs> statement to somebody's intelligence. Our labels for our bottles say... Warning, if you drink too much of this beer, you may become a Muda. A Muda. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so we went with that. You and, know, and you pay homage beer. to your intern in one of your beer releases, right? Oh, yeah. Right? So, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that was Slava. So, uh, our anniversary beer every year is King Slava, which is a Russian Imperial style Asian in uh, bourbon barrels. Which is, uh, if you, and look, I tell people, because we're, you know, with Fermented Adventure, Dawn and I, we're raving fans. We, we tell people about Mooduck. We don't tell them the effects of what happens if you drink too much beer and what you become. But what I would say is that specific beer, if you have never entered that into a competition, um, I would highly recommend it for you. But if you want to put something on your list of places to go for that specific beer, what's the usual anniversary release time? So it's always the first uh, Saturday in November. First Saturday in November. Yep. Circle your calendar. First Saturday of November, the Slava series is just an amazing beer. Yeah, that beer is certainly, and we do it slightly different every year. Every year's you know in a different barrel, as long as I can keep finding different sources for it. But so the beer is unique every year, but it's certainly a beer that's getting quite a following now. Um, you know, we're it's our anniversary day, so of course we're going to be busy that day. But a lot of people want to get here and get those bottles and make sure they get because we don't do a lot of them. Um, we've debated throughout the years of doing more Slava. And having more bottles, but we like the fact that you need to get there that day, because if you're not there, probably within the first three or four hours of the anniversary day, you're not getting your bottle, or your two bottles, whatever yeah. we limited at. So. I just think it's fun, and I think it goes to the character of, of again, what you're just putting to the world. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you, you want to have fun doing this, because I, I would imagine part of that conversation for you was, if, if you're going to leave your jobs and careers, this better be enjoyable for you, right? I'd like to leave my job. <laughs> I still work full time, yeah. but it's it's coming, or maybe it is. It's a, only. I mean, right now, it's the way to see it over the precipice. We were closer to it before COVID. Yeah, we were pretty close, but then you had to be careful, you know, with the limited business during COVID. I we do believe that Muda can support me as well full time, but then there's insurance. She's got the insurance, of course. The insurance, yeah. So, so talk about. COVID and how it impacted your business and your plans for the brewery. And was there anything that really came out of COVID that you saw? Well, that was a really good thing for yeah. us because it helped us to where we so, are now. Yeah. With, I mean, one of the things that now that I look with hindsight for me is I'm glad that I was such a, uh, I had such a tight hold on Mudok's wallet because we didn't have an issue with 
ever being concerned of running out of money during COVID because right. we had so much just in case, which is what part of the which is what you want to which do, is yeah. what the way that we built ourselves up slowly instead of starting huge. We started small, built up with what we had. Um, and we continue to do that. And we continue you know, to do as it now. we have the funds to expand, we expand. You know, we're looking at some more uh, yeah. tanks in the brewery, but yeah. you know. But for COVID, um, once we went to to go only, obviously the the biggest our savior was doing the uh, drive through to go drive through every Saturday. Uh, we started. We had a smoker already, so we said, "Why not use it?" And we did so our drive through Saturdays. Saturdays, and people would drive through to pick up their smoking order. Yes. And the beers would be there for them. And we conveniently have an alley that runs right. outside the building and a garage door. And they didn't have to get out of their cars. We just put it in their cars. I and the first week, first, first week, it was just wings initially. And we sold out of, we started with like 500, I think. We sold out in less than an hour. We actually ended up eventually calls. buying a second smoker. Not even, it wasn't even, not even a month, not even four right. weeks later. We bought a second smoker. So the same size as the first one. And they're huge. And then by the end, we were selling out 900 wings within like two, three hours at the latest. But I think as a general question or a general answer, what it forced us to do is really expand our food program, I think, a lot Oh, more. yeah. Um, we've always had food right from the start, and we've continued to expand on the food side. But I think and you do, fun work, you do fun stuff with your food, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. Today is a Wacky Dog Wednesday. Right. So they forced us to do stuff like Wacky Dog Wednesday. We realized... You know, if we don't have something on special, perhaps, that it doesn't put it in their mind that they need to come to Mudok to get dinner that night. Well, our biggest change was going to the to-go pizzas. We used to only have flatbreads, and then we found the local baker in Lancaster um, who makes a 12-inch round crust, and we started doing um, freaky pizzas on it. So every yeah. week there would be a different pizza, and that would get people, you know, we sold a ton of those during covid yeah. For to go. Yeah, Freaky Pizza started during COVID. Um, the smoking specials started during COVID. Now we do it monthly. Now People always ask, what are you doing wings again? <laughs> right. So it forced us to expand the, the food specials. And yeah. then we did it again. We Now we have Burger Night on Thursdays. So Now we have Burger Night on Thursdays. So. I think that's really fascinating how it's impacted the business model to where these may not have been things. I mean, it sounds like you would have been creative anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this may not have been something that you would... You know, in in you know, let's say June of 2021, may not have been part of your brewery had yeah. you know things like COVID and the impact of the business happened. Yeah, I found a copy of our original food menu, not <laughs> like two weeks ago, ago or a week ago, and it really just made me laugh. Like, because when we first opened, we were so uh, well, we only had on saying that we were a brewery with a little bit of food, not a restaurant that serves beer. You know, that makes beer, and then that's almost flipped. To the point where we even had a, we had a couple in on Saturday that got a whole bunch of food and all they drank was water. They were just here for the food <laughs> and the music, probably. But uh, and so I'm, I'm hearing you say that, Kristen, and from the mindset of again, hey, we're not business people. Yeah, but you're. <laughs> I don't know if you just keep making left turns and getting your destination and not realizing that yeah. you're good at what you do. Yeah, yeah, we are just you know doing what we do. You're just you. We Music. adapt, and we're not afraid to try new things. And, yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, you have to be creative yeah. as a brewer yeah. to you know flavors and things like that. But it sounds like that's also been able to transfer over to your food side, too. Right, yeah. A lot of the, like the bacon platter was all this guy. <laughs> the, the bacon, bacon. bacon platter. 
It uh, has uh, 26 so slices of bacon on it. No, we just give you a platter of bacon. No, it's, uh, and what's wrong with that? <laughs> it's the bacon-wrapped pickles, bacon-wrapped Which are bites. amazing. Yeah, you guys yeah, had them. They're amazing. And a bacon-wrapped hot dog. Can't really go wrong with that. Nope. Bacon-wrapped cheese and pepperoni. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, pretty much, if, if, if you have some bacon, eventually it's going to wrap something here. We're kind okay. of known for our bacon. Our members, so we have a, a member club, uh, and one of their... Their perks. One of their perks is they get free bacon on their panini or, or pizza. So, and we've had people pay back their membership just, oh, yeah. just in their bacon. bacon. Just, just in their bacon. bacon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We talked a little bit about your stout, but when we come back from the break, let's talk about some of your beers, your visions, your thoughts as you go through that. And uh, right after the break, we'll talk about that and we'll be back in a second. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, brewskits. Your dog will go wild. Brewskits. Beer, grain, dog bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-D.com. We're back, and this flight looks like I'm, my mouth is watering because I know the quality and how good your beers are. You're, so you, 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 you name some beers for yourselves, right? Mom and dad. Mom yes, and dad. Mom and dad beers. So. Which is, I mean, it's funny because our, uh. Our employees Call us mom started and dad. calling us mom and dad. So even though some are older than us, <laughs> we're still. Mom how and did dad. how did that how did you become like mom and dad? Well, I think it was Russell. who was one of our original employees. Russell and Cass, who uh, who started calling her mom first. I, I didn't become dad until she started to become mom. She was mom. I don't know. Were just because of how you just because um, disciplined him or something. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, you're so mom. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But, but but you you actually now you have a beer named for you for Kristen for mom and is it for you Mike is that the beer for dad beer is that dad. the same way yep. so yep. the beer for mom is what it's a imperial west coast style IPA and what stands out for you what is it about that that you gravitate towards I just like really hoppy beers okay but really she hoppy, likes hoppy and she likes non hazy yeah. hazy gives her headaches so I don't like it I don't like them anyway so. That's just that's just for me. And 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 for you, Mike, the beer for dad. So beer for dad is a uh, amber lager, so nice, easy drinking, crisp beer, which is kind of where I'm leaning towards these days. I mean, I drink all styles. People really yeah, drink all styles. I, I definitely, it's impressive. So yeah, I'm, we were just at Trogues last night, and I had three or four different beers. They're all across. See, the I'll do the same thing. Styles, so. I may not gravitate. Dawn and I, you know, may not gravitate as much towards IPAs, but we've had some incredible IPAs of late, right. and. But I'll drink all styles. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but you have to brew all styles. And you guys have to like all styles because that's, you, you stay within your wheelhouse. You're obviously yeah. going to brew with what you yeah. like, right? Yeah. I mean, I, what I like about our tap list is that it is so diverse. You know, yeah. you always have to have a couple IPAs on to keep people happy. But, I mean, it's all over the place. Yeah, we just started making lagers. I mean, we always made lagers, once you know, a year. since we've been open, we've made a lager at least once a year. Um, but before our recent expansion, I had to make lagers when it was cold back in the brewery, so it would ferment at the right temperature. So okay. that meant, you know, in, you know, essentially December through or maybe like March, I could make some lagers and then the rest of the year I'd have to wait. So yeah. with our recent brewery expansion, we have much better temperature control equipment Thanks. back there. And that allowed us to start making lager year round and, and it's really taken off for us, um, I did uh, our numbers for 
uh, May today, and our top selling beer was our Pilsner, which is now off, but it'll be coming back. Um, our beer for dad is constantly in the top three selling beers. Um, in the can fridge, there's both dad and mom, and to I, I can't believe it. To my surprise, you know, dad probably sells two to one out of cans compared to mom, which is really surprising. When you think about the IPA. When you think about what everybody else or, says right. that, you know, the trends are in the beer world, you know, you have a double IPA and you have a lager in your to-go fridge, you know, your your double IPA should kill the lager. But, but it also says a lot about our clientele mm-hmm. that are, you know. That's true. They're not just coming out here looking for, like, the haze or, like, whatever. Like, they want to be out here, have a couple beers, hang out, and they enjoy their lagers. Yep. <laughs> so. Now... Where should we start on this Let's panel? Start with the uh, era of the bear. So, all right, the era of the bear. Talk about that. The uh, so this kind of fits back with our own mantra of being community focused as well. So something we started a couple years ago was there was a church that actually approached us about um, brewing a beer for their anniversary celebration, and so we did that, and it went very well. And they sold a lot of bottles, and we had it on tap here. And now, we've done that a couple of times. We've done it with another church in town, and this is actually brewed with a local museum. So we've done some kind of fun community-based collaborations, you know, that are beer-focused as he, well. He also brews root beer for the church to sell at the fair. Oh, summer. you do that as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this beer, Air of the Bear, is, we call it a historical ale. It's essentially a brown ale. Um, but we did this with the local Winters Heritage House Museum. And they came up with the idea and asked if we would do a beer, and they sent me a bunch of uh, recipes that they essentially found in some of the books in their library. And uh, we picked the uh, this particular one, which is kind of loosely based on Poor Richard's Ale, I believe. Um, so this is brewed with a good bit of corn, um, which people always seem surprised about based on the color of it. Um, but that allows it to lighten the body and keep the drinkability really, you know, even for a darker color beer, it drinks on the lighter side. And then the other kind of special ingredient in this is molasses as well. So two historical Pennsylvania things that would have been fermented, you know, coming together in kind of one in one beer. Does the molasses give it more that chestnutty brown yeah, color? Yeah, it certainly helps with the color. Um, I wouldn't think, like you said, where darker, the corn would be. There's some darker malts for sure in there as well that help give it the color, but... Um, and this one has done really well for us. We're selling bottles in the tap room for $10, and $5 of that 10 is going to the museum. So it's yeah, a nice little to, fundraiser for them as well. I meant to say that when we were talking about the charity thing. Like, we, like there, there's always something going somewhere. Like, we're always doing, we do the time of the month beer for the... Um, that time the, of the month beer? For the vagina monologues okay. at a restaurant. I just had to make... Sometimes things come through my headphones, yes. and I yeah. just want to make sure I hear what you're saying. Yep, it's for... And, and the proceeds to that go uh, to the Milagro House and, and yeah. Lancaster Women's so Shelter. a local restaurant and a group of ladies put on a show every year, and uh, they had asked us to make a beer for that We've been doing it for, for like four show. years now. So we came up, they wanted something kind of red and fruity, which was cool. Yeah. And... Uh, we let them name it. You know, it's a surprising name. People we had always, one person that was like, hey, you guys don't always say it. something to us. We're like, hey, the ladies who do we didn't it, name it. I was offended you know, by the name, but oh, the he ladies, was. he was. was. It's just he even he even called he even tagged um, the Pink Food Society to try to get a, like something going. And so the women who did it chimed in and said, "We are the ones who named right. it. Like this is our charity." Right. Yeah. So that. So was nice. what happens is it actually helps sales. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that was when we. Used to talk. That one I have to try. By the way, we don't yes, have. That's it a cranberry sour. 
So whenever you, yeah, uh, we'll so keep an eye on your socials. Every, uh, every February. Every February. All right. Yeah. I was going to say that when he started talking about Air of the Bears. That's one of the things about this place, and it's well known in the community, is that if you want him to brew a beer for you, or you want to brew with him, because it goes back to his teaching roots, that he brews with so many people. Um, we did Hops and Cops two years ago before for the local police, and so that was a charity beer where the police chief came in and brewed with him. Uh, we do the we do the vagina monologues one every year. We do this historical society one. We do with the church. No, the church. They come in and brew uh, with him. We uh, what else? He's, he brews for we're brewing for the every year we brew for the installation dinner for the new president of Rotary. We we brew beer for that and we do beer there. Uh, we sell it in Nestle every year. I never hear you say you guys sleep. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, yeah. or yeah. you're just always brewing for something. Yeah. It yeah. Is. I will tell you. The flavor, the nose on this, I mean, you get that sweetness of the molasses you talked about. Um, there's, a, there's a nutty yep. note to that. And I feel like I just, every sip I take, it's like eating a chocolate caramel. I, I feel like, so I stopped off at Spence before I got here, no, Spence, Spence Candies. They still, I, they talked about that, that stout, <laughs> that, that stout, um, yep. chocolate stout that yep. you guys make. But I literally feel like every sip, it's like that. The creaminess of the caramel, the, the sweetness, and I get that from there. Now, you mentioned this is closest to a Port Richards... Yeah, the Port Richards Ale is a recipe you can kind of look up online. Um, I guess it was a favorite recipe of Thomas Jefferson's, the Port Richards Ale. So it's based on that. We, you know, we did some modern changes to it. You know, their method of using corn was certainly much different than our method of using corn now. Um, would they have roasted it first? Probably. And, okay. You know, I'm not even sure how they would match. They probably just, you know, Boy, they just they boiled the heck out of it. it yeah. Just yeah. Whatever, but, so we use flake corn, make it a lot easier process wise for us. Um, and this one was surprising. You know, when you look at a recipe and you kind of adjust it to fit our brew house and, and our ingredients, and you don't, you know, this wasn't a recipe that I created per se, so you don't exactly know, you know, how it's going to come out. And this one was a very pleasant surprise, and it sold extremely well in the tap room. All right, so my, my thought here is that as I'm tasting this a little bit, you had mentioned, obviously there's a corn there, and I don't know if it's the influence, but that, that floral note at the end, mm-hmm. almost as if you were drinking like a white dog, like yeah. a clear whiskey, mm. you almost get a little bit that Maybe left that is original yeah. on the palate. This is delicious. This is, this yeah, like is incredible. Like I said, when, when you, know, you go off another recipe and you kind of design it to fit your you know, brewing needs. Um, this one was a pleasant surprise. You know, I I think it's highly drinkable. I think it's got nice, interesting flavors. Yeah, people. Yeah, I wasn't sure and how it's, it was sold, but people like it. Way outside of our expectations. Yeah. Of what I don't know how much of this you have left or your plans, <laughs> and I know you've got your six standards that you have here, but I could certainly see for you. Yeah. That this making it. I'm sure that everybody says that about all the beers. Could you just keep them all on the on the tap? Yeah, no. We have a nice. Because of, because of our environmental education background, um, everything is very seasonal. Coming out at the time of year it should be coming out, you know, based on actual ingredients and all that kind of stuff. So people are wait the, the sticky nuts that comes out every March because I love your we, sense of humor. I really do. <laughs> you hide this sense of humor, <laughs> but but you're like a fly swatter with your sense of humor. Yeah. I didn't see that coming, but then it hits you. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, so everything is like, you know, they just comes out when the when the fruit or whatever is available. Well, I, I, I want to ask what are sticky nuts, but I don't, I'm afraid of the answer. It's a maple pecan brown <laughs> okay. yeah. 
for when maple, <laughs> so maple, like maple syrup season, when maple syrup season is being is. harvested. And yeah. we'll always get questions on when our pumpkin's coming out. And the response is, when we get our pumpkins. pumpkins right. You know, uh, and that's... So we source yeah. it locally as much as, you know, again, it fits in in our mantra. You know, if we can source an ingredient locally, we do it. Well, and you're in, so, you're in the heart of Lang. I mean, you know, you're, we you, could, you've got farms right, out. Yeah, we got yeah. farms here. Yeah. So, I mean, you we mentioned strawberries. We're going right up the road to get Yeah, we're going to go pick up strawberries. And what's that going to be? Today. So that'll be a, a honey strawberry blonde ale. It's actually oh, one of our ridiculous. most popular actual strawberries. Wow. And it's all natural strawberries. That will last like three weeks. Yeah, when does that hit the tap? That comes and goes. So we'll get the strawberries in uh, probably tomorrow, and then we'll let them sit for probably about a week, and then we'll package it. And we are lucky in that right across the train station is Masonic Village, right. who has orchards, so we farm use market. Their fruit throughout the they year. give us seconds for like a you know a very discounted price. We get peaches from them, pears from them, we get apples from them, apples. Uh, yeah. everything. It's it's a really good relationship yeah. we have going on with the farm over there. So you know we could easily open a can of pumpkin. And have pumpkin beer in yeah. August. But or, or I think you're going to find, and based on your environmental science, yeah. based on your experience in yeah. brewing, it's it's not going to be the same product yeah. no. unless you use that fresh pumpkin. Yeah, we, and we actually roast the pumpkin. We roast the pumpkin, and we actually put a little brown sugar, maple yeah. syrup on it, so it develops. Now I want to see what flavors. happens when you smoke a little pumpkin. And oh, then, it, is, it has crossed my mind before. All right, because <laughs> you've got the smoking capacity. Smoke I would love to see how that influences yeah. a beer. So that could be the oh. toasted pumpkin brown ale, yeah. or smoked Porter. pumpkin brown ale, Porter. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or put fermented adventure in front of it, and then yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind. smoked pumpkin porter. <laughs> the next one says Sprout. Talk about Sprout. So Sprout is a collaboration. Um, you know, one of the things we do a lot is, is work with other breweries, and we've become very good friends with the folks uh, at Poor Man's Brewing in Ephrata. And uh, they're like our little brew brothers, I guess they you call would call They call it them. the, uh, what do they call it, the little brother of Mudok? Yeah, so uh, they were very interested in learning how we did things to open up. So they were here very often and getting advice from us before they opened. And yeah, so very similar They style. very respected how small we were and how we opened on such a small <laughs> budget uh, compared to what a lot of other people do. So they become our little brewing buddies and are for sure our best kind of friends in the in the brewing industry. Yeah. Um, so it's actually kind of rare that we don't have a collaboration on of some kind between the two of us because Ryan, their, their brewer, and myself are really good friends and we're always throwing ideas around each other. And it's, it's fun to get together and brew with somebody else and see how they do things, you know, see how they, you know, come up with flavor ideas and stuff, you know, differently compared to you. And So this is a pale lager that we... Uh, have some rice in, and we finished it with lemongrass and uh, lime leaves. What What does the impact of the lemongrass and the lime, and you mentioned rice, how does that impact the beer? What's your thought on using yeah, so, those ingredients? So rice, just like we said with the corn, it's going to lighten the body a little bit. So it's a very, very light-colored beer and uh, with really high drinkability. So you know, people make fun of things like corn and rice sometimes, but there is a place for them in, in brewing as far as fitting into certain beer styles and helping the drinkability of that beer style. Now, it used to be frowned upon in the craft industry to use those, and now it's becoming way more acceptable to use them. So the rice lightens the body, helps lighten the color. Um, and then the lemongrass and lime just give, like, and it's very subtly done, where it's not, like, in your face, here's a lot of lemon, here's a lot of lime, but it's just a nice, subtle kind of background note. So it still tastes like beer. But you're getting this nice little subtle kind of florally citrusy note in the background. What is happening, at least for me as I sip this, 
there's a transition that lasts a couple of seconds from the front to the back. Yeah. And also, as you go through that that lemony, limey back and forth, and you finish with this wonderful, almost as if it's it's like you breathe in and you can you can get that air freshener. This this really really pleasant, you know, you know, um, effervescence on the mouth. Right. This is delicious. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less from you, <laughs> but to experience it and now to sit down with you as the brewer and talk about your vision, your ideas, and what you're doing, it really lends itself to the understanding of how this beer is coming together. Yeah, we like to play with ingredients. You know, one of the things I really enjoy is finding an ingredient and then discovering, you know, what kind of beer would this go well in. Um, you know, when we first opened, we said it's kind of like a culinary experience, but it's beer. And uh, I certainly still agree with that. I think it's one point. of his strengths is, um, is uh, especially like, it's like the herbs and the fruit beers make him taste like what, exactly what they are, especially the Parfait series mm-hmm. that we do. Parfait series. Yes, yeah, so it's uh, different fruits, whichever, whatever what he does but there's vanilla and granola in it and it literally tastes like you're eating a parfait with the fruit yeah so so it's our way to kind of jump on the sour fruited lactose beers without having sour fruit or lactose in the so you're really you're really extracting (laughs) what, what you're saying to me mike is you're really extracting flavor yes you know what you need to do to let that fruit and that ingredient shine yeah to me this beer is what another nationally branded beer from Mexico would like to taste like. <laughs> yes. By having to shove a lime in it, right. if it was able to do that on their own, yeah. this is what they would aspire to be. Right. Yeah. And this is a grown-up. This is this is this is a grown-up mm. when I say grown-up beer, this is this is a mature essence full beer. If essence full is a word. I don't know. Yeah. We've had a couple. Like we've had big time lime, which was kind of a playoff of the Bud Light lime. Yeah. That was back when he was home brewing. It was big time lime. And now it's become sand. And now it's places. sand in inconvenient places. It's a salty. So that's lime a ale. So it's a salty lime ale. So <laughs> that one comes out. We created soon. that one, uh, and Ghosts are still popular. But we created that one when uh, three, four years ago, where Ghosts were really starting to become popular. So we created that as kind of our spin on that. And the fun thing we do with that beer is we do enough of it where. We actually store some away into a tequila barrel as well. So you get the base version out in July 4th weekend right. with a shrimp boil. So that's one of our kind of special events of the summer. So Do you guys have like a, a, a room that somebody could just stay <laughs> over and wait for your releases and not have to make the trip? We've had to have people sleep on the ground. <laughs> <We have laughs> <have laughs> <have laughs> <people. laughs> now, all right. So here's, here's my question. Because what I see here is like that sprout. I'm, th- I'm like thinking some sort of grilled chicken mm-hmm. and or, you know, like a whole – this, this goes great with smoked poultry or mm-hmm. fish or something. How does it come – I mean, how do you figure – did you have a smoking background in terms of barbecue? Yeah, always a smoking meat. So yeah, you always I would say uh, – so before the homebrew kit, my hobby of choice besides all the outdoor fun stuff we like to do was, was smoking meats. We have two smokers and a grill at home. So – yeah. It's another hobby of mine. It's another thing I really enjoy doing to the point where, you know, we have a smoker here. We have a smoker at our cabin. We have smoker <laughs> food up, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you break for smokers. I right, mean, you, yeah. you never met a smoker you didn't like, <laughs> yeah. right? What I find is, though, that, you know, I 
I don't necessarily stop and think of food pairings where nothing really have, would come to mind. But for that sprout, yeah, so I just want I there's a grilled yeah. there's a grilled chicken yeah. that I would just love yeah. to enjoy yeah. with that. That yeah. that is awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. He'd come for the shrimp oil with the salty lime. That's like that's yeah, the perfect like the pairing. But well. the tequila barrel with the tequila. So that, so that beer is fun because you get the base beer with the shrimp oil, and then like two months later, three months later, you get. So the middle of the summer you get the base, and then towards the end of the summer you get the tequila barrel. And then he'll squirrel one away for our Woodfest when we have the first what the first week of winter. Yeah, so right around the winter solstice, we try to do uh, an event as close to the solstice as possible where we have all barrel-aged beers of some kind all at one time. If you're hearing the podcast and you're finding Moo Duck for the first time, I hope what you're doing right now is you're checking out your socials, you're checking out your website – so that you can start to say, all right, and you pointed this out. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, believe it or not, Elizabethtown, there's, there's some fun stuff to do here in the surrounding area. So this is really a nice destination for you to come to. But this is something, based on what I'm hearing you guys talk about, you really need to start making plans to come here and try some of your fabulous beers. And that event also has, of course, a smoke. <laughs> of course it does. A, a smoke, uh, oh, the smoke so fatty. It's called a smoke fatty for that event. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> I see this says isosceles. Isosceles, yes. Okay. So uh, one of our regulars created a Mooduck fan group uh, Facebook page. and uh, Which I am going to become a part of. Yes. As I didn't know that about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so just yesterday he posted the question, if you were telling somebody about Mooduck for the first time, what style of beer do they make better than most other breweries? And, of course, all your styles were listed. One of them was Belgian styles. Uh-huh. And uh, so this is a Belgian-style triple. Um, this is the base triple, um, to which we also, during fresh fruit season, do a blueberry version, a peach version, and a pear version, all of that same base recipe. Never um, but, you know, other than the King Slava, which I think it can be put up against any barrel aged stout and fare unbelievably well, and we're starting to get a really good following with that beer, other than that King Slava beer, uh, our Belgian stuff is probably of a better quality than a lot of other breweries. So, And you're proud of it. Yes. And yes. you give extra attention to that. Yes. And your lager, your IPA, what is it about the Belgian, though, that you stopped and said, I want to brew this? And So I personally enjoy Belgian-style beers, so that's certainly part of it. Um, Belgian-style yeasts are really interesting as well because you, know, you have standard fermentation temperatures, to create the best beer, but Belgian yeast can kind of, they can go outside of that parameter a little bit. So there's certainly from a brewer's perspective, some fun experimentation you can do with the Belgian yeast that you can't really, I mean, you can do with some other yeast, but not to the degree you can Belgian yeast. So, you know, what does this yeast do at 75 degrees instead of, you know, 65 degrees? You know, we can push the temperature on that up, you know, even higher perhaps and get some really interesting flavors developed. So, was that surprising for you, again, for that brewer's perspective, <laughs> was that surprising you when you started to learn that and, and just kind of Yeah, because it goes off? against conventional wisdom, you know. There's probably some books you read, you know, even now, where you look at a recipe for a Belgian triple and it tells you ferment at 66 degrees or, you know, whatever it is, where, uh, and then you start realizing, you know, through your own experiments or through other literature that you happen to chance upon or, you know, reading about people who do it, you know, on a bigger scale and such that, you know, certain yeasts and certain things can do 
things outside of the parameters. And some of these things I learned because our brewery was hand built and, you know, in the summertime things get a little warmer sometimes. And so, you know, but our Belgians, we pitch high temperature and we let them rise. So we don't control the temperature on them. If we pitch at 72 and they end up at 85 by the end of fermentation, we just let them go. And what you're doing there is you're creating flavors that you would not get if you're just keeping it at a constant, you know, 66 degrees the whole time. I think, I think it's adventurous yeah. to experiment that way, yeah. realizing, look, that's a lot of money in, in product. If it doesn't go well, yeah. okay, but I think you have a better understanding of your equipment yeah. and yep. you're willing to take that risk. Yep. And then what happens and what comes out of that is this, this look, I haven't si- sipped this yet, but on the nose... I want to say mango, but I want to say there's also like this peppery, mm-hmm. like a, a sweet peppery note to yep. it as well. Talk yep. about your vision and, and what you get out of that. So for this beer, the, the goal was to make something, you know, again, you're going to hear me talk about it a lot, but, and it is important to me. You know, we, we try to make stuff that's highly drinkable no matter what what it is. So you might have a 4.5% sprout, very light color beer. You know, we want that to be drinkable. You could have this, you know, almost 6% air of the beer, dark color beer, but we also want that to maintain its drinkability to, you know, we've heard many people say, you know, the King Slava at 11, almost 12% still maintains this crazy amount of drinkability to it, and it's not boozy at all. You know why? It's because it's so freaking tasty. It's, it's <laughs> so, why. There's so much flavor in that beer. So that's what we strive to do is, so for this, our goal was to make a 9% beer to really kick as much of those flavors out of the yeast. So the fruitiness, the pepperiness that you can get out of that yeast. So really push the limits of that. But then also have it finish fairly dry and maintain, you know, the drinkability and, and again, not boozy. This is tremendous. Yeah. This, I mean, everything you say, there's there's the fruitiness, there's a little sour note too, and the dryness that leaves you want to come back. Right. I want I want more. Yeah. I just want more of this. Yeah, so my philosophy as a brewer, you know, the lactose trend certainly isn't going away. And, you know, we'll play with lactose a little bit. Um, and the sweet beer trend is certainly not going away, and we do play with that a little bit with the Parfait series and stuff, but I prefer things to be dry. In fact, the drier, the better. I think having something that dry is exactly what you said, is you want to go back for another sip, where if you have something sweet, you know, there gets to the point where you're drinking sweet on sweet on sweet, yeah. is, yeah, I just don't want another sip anymore. I want more, so I will <laughs> I will give you that kudos to that. This is, I mean, it, it, where I see it is, this is so full of character, so full of flavor that you're just interested to see what this does. I mean, I've got a four ounce pour, but I, you know, I want to see what this does at 16 ounces because as my palate changes, as the beer influences what my taste buds do, I want to see how this plays out. This is a great story in a, in a, this great story for a beer. Now, how do you come up with the names of these beers? I was going to say how we came up with them. That was a drunk brainstorming night with our niece. Yeah, so the very first time we brewed that was... A drunk brainstorming night with your niece. Try to figure out a name for isosceles. So some some beers, you know, are are brand new, like Arrow Bear we never brewed before, Sprout we never brewed before. Some come back all the way back to our homebrew days, and Mm -hmm. isosceles is one that went back to our homebrew days. And uh, the first time we made it actually was... Can I tell the lottery ticket ticket? Yeah, tell the lottery ticket story. Oh, no, you have to curse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Try not yeah. to if you can. <laughs> well, we have a Christmas beer that's called Better Than a Lottery Ticket. Because everybody, everybody wins with beer. beer. It was an old homebrew beer that was called Merry Effing Christmas. And gotcha. We knew we could not sell it at that. <laughs> I mean, some people do. Other breweries do, but not really yeah. for us. 
So isosceles was... So yeah, the very first time we brewed it was with my niece Amanda, uh, who also has an affinity for Belgian-style beers. And uh, she asked if we could brew a triple, so we did. And uh, when we were sitting around brewing it, we were trying to come up with a name for it. And I think for a lot a triple, of the yeah. obvious things, you know, the hat trick or the baseball reference or whatever it was were names that were kind of already taken before. So I don't know how we came up with isosceles in particular. Because it's a, it's a triangle. It's a triangle. It's three-sided. Right. So I think it was, you know, it's just sort of a result of a drunken so, brainstorm yeah. perhaps with our niece. And, yeah. And if it, and we like it, it's... See, these are the things I think you need to open up to the public. Yeah. And just invite a few select people into the drunk brainstorming naming nights. Because <laughs> you, guys, you guys sound like... Those. Okay, so, we have, so we have a beer called She'll Never Let Us Call It That, right. which is our New England-style IPA. Pasta, yeah. And it was like, he knew it was going to be popular, it was going to be whatever, and he had... I had first made that beer for the Little Big Beer Fest, which was an event during Harrisburg Beer Week. Years ago, yeah. And uh, I had just made it on my five-gallon homebrew system with a friend of mine. And it was cute. And it was, like, crazy popular. So we scaled it up, and it remained crazy popular when we did that. But we needed a name for it. Uh, it was originally a Little Big Beer Fest IPA. It was yeah. a you know, terrible name. Obviously, we can't rename it. So he asked name. all the customers, everybody's here, like, you know, write down your ideas for names. And everybody's writing down ideas for names. And me being the mom... They all were like, she'll never let us call it that. Like, so everybody kept saying that. Because I cut that. them down a lot. I have she'll to keep it like, you know. That. She'll never let us call it and that. I, so he showed me the list. And I was like, why don't you just call it that? Yeah, she'll like, never oh. let us call it that. This sounds, yeah, see, this is, this is the fun part, right? <laughs> yeah. The names, I mean, you're doing all the hard work. You're making the beer. But the names are just, what yeah. do you, it's like how important it is when you have a child to come up with a name to transfer some sort of a meaning. And it's or, hard. I mean, well, we there's used so to many care. breweries now. <laughs> we used to care <laughs> about, like, you going on tap to make sure you weren't repeating, but you can't, right. it's but impossible now. now. So many, uh, to see what other breweries are. Because you yeah. don't want to have the same name that somebody else does. I mean, it? literally one time we had people write, we gave everybody a piece of paper and said, just write a random word on it. So we did this for a whole night at the tap room, and then we just picked three pieces of paper out of the hat, and it's like, there's the That's name. the name of the beer. And so that ended up being an impossible flashlight dance. See, that's so creative. But it was a good name. That like, was a cool I couldn't have came up with a possible flashlight dance on my own, so... Well, speaking of names, this last beer, you wrote something on the paddle, but yeah, so I'm not sure... So what... This is Mistopheles, so okay. Mistopheles <laughs> yeah. uh, is the name of, uh, unfortunately, our, our now no. deceased cat. Okay. Our cat. That we so had for 18 years. We had she was a little 18-year-old, so Mistopheles is our year-round stout. Um, we've done all kinds of different versions of this one, but we seem to kind of... Not fell into it, but we kind of seemed to stick with the coffee version of it. Um, so it's an imperial stout with coffee. With our friends from St. Michael's so, Coffee yeah, Shop. That's Blue the reason Heron. why I picked this one, too. Blue Heron coffee. Now, is there a specific coffee bean that goes into this? The so, we roasted them. With yeah, the so, oh, you roasted them, too. <laughs> so, yeah. So <laughs> in our Wow, you smoke, you brew, we, you roast. Uh, well, I, I can't really take the credit for roasting. He was at that place. I was there and, <laughs> and helped. And when he told me to do something, I pushed the buttons. And so we uh, we have some friends who vacation often in St. Michael's, Maryland. Friends who became friends. We're, which is fun because we're actually heading down there this weekend. Don we'll go, to, go to Blue Heron. So if you we're there. Blue tell them you know us. I will, I'll wear the t-shirt that day. Tell yes. them uh, you were just on a podcast with us and we were talking about his coffee. He will... He will. Yeah. Lose his mind. Okay. So we have friends that go down there a lot, and we've started to go down there. Friends who became friends only because of Mudok. Friends that we met here at Mudok, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, 
so we go down there often as well with them, mm-hmm. not nearly as much as they do, but um, I said, hey, do you think your friend's coffee shop down there would want to give us some beans? You could bring them a crawler. That'd be funny. Well, no, we'll be going soon. <laughs> oh, yeah, <thanks. laughs> so uh, he's like, yeah, we can get coffee. I said, well, here's another thing. Like, could I help? Because I'm kind of interested in, you know, how does it work? I never roasted coffee. I never seen coffee roasted. So uh, when we were there for a weekend, we spent a couple hours with him in the in the coffee shop, and we roasted our own beans for the for the beer. And what was neat about that is we told him kind of what flavor kind of contribution. You know, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're a real coffee nerd, you probably don't think about oh, there's different flavors you can get from coffee. Yeah. Um, so I kind of told him. Some of the flavors, we wanted to lean more towards the chocolatey side of coffee and not kind of the bitter roasted side of coffee. Um, so he picked out the beans. He picked out the roasting process and said, this is what we're going to do. And we were there to help, which was kind of fun. Yeah. I get a sweet coffee nuttiness to yep. this. That if I were to just take my morning coffee and replace it, this is what I would want to drink <laughs> instead. If I could function throughout the day. Right. Um, the nose... It's just huge coffee, chocolatey. Yep. It's just exactly what you'd expect. Yeah, that, that would bring you know that would bring that together. What I heard you say, Mike, which is important, had you not asked right. to be part of the process, would this coffee have ever, would this beer have ever been created? No, I mean we've done coffee style before, and you know. We've used a local coffee roaster here in town, which was also fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used a coffee shop here in town, which was also fun. Um, but they didn't have the connection that we have with this beer now. That's one of the things I think is important is knowing your ingredients, knowing where they come from, having some sort of connection to them. And I think it allows you to know how to use them in a more efficient manner and to get the most flavor out of it. It's not a bitter coffee finish. It's just a nice lingering coffee essence to it. And this is, again, four beers, four incredible beers. And all the ones that we've ever had here have been, you know, spot on and just great beers. When we're, 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 we're pretty much, I mean, in Pennsylvania, we've seen mandates change now. And I think we're at the tail end, at least hopefully, of the COVID restrictions. What events or what activities can people expect here at Mooduck? when they come by or should be looking for? Oh, we're starting to have music again, which every we Saturday. didn't do throughout COVID a lot. So live music every Saturday. And one of the things I like about our music program is, um, number one, it's not loud. So you can come in here and you can still have your conversation. And then the second thing is it's 5.30 to 8.30. So you can have some music, you can have some beers, and you're still, you know, at home and getting ready for make, bed. Make sure, you make sure the kids are, have not destroyed the house. <laughs> right. so, so for me, I appreciate that. You know, I'm not staying up till 1, 2 in the morning anymore to go out and listen to live music. So uh, so the live music program is back up and running, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we, we continue to do our events. And our big events. The, the next, next one, one is will be shrimp oil. Shrimp oil. And then it's the pig roast. Shrimp oil, then it's the pig roast. And then it would be Woodfest. Woodfest. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm glad to hear is that you're actually starting to be able to plan for those events. Yes. That you can look yeah. forward to them, that the community, that your clients, customers, friends can say, all right, I can now put this on my calendar and know that this is actually going to happen. Because yeah. so much stuff over the last year, 
Yeah, have you know. had that conversation? Should we plan for this? Oh, I know. Yeah. Do we know we're going to do this? No. Yeah, there's, there's some things we didn't do because yeah. we're like, what's the capacity limit going to be? Yeah. You know, how many yeah, people but, are going to be able to be there? With yeah. not having full capacity, there was no point in having music because we were already turning people away every week yeah. uh, because of the freaky, the freaky pizzas got so popular that we were having a hard time, you know, having seating for everybody. But now that we have all the seats, it's a lot better. Right? Yes, I mean, having just full capacity back is going to help us a lot because there's been a lot of Fridays, Fridays especially, but some Saturdays as well where, you know, you always get to see people who have made the commitment to come visit you and, and spend money with yeah. you, and they come in. And there's nowhere for them to sit, so they walk out the door. So, especially like yeah. you know, especially as we talk about this, you know, people like Dawn and I will travel over an hour mm-hmm. plus to get here. And you're right that you don't want to say, yeah. "Hey, wait outside, and yeah. we'll let you know yeah. when you can come in," yeah. um, or you know, check out the town, and we'll. Hopefully, yeah. get you in an hour. So, so the capacity our, limits help us. Yeah. will help us get back up and running again. Our sixth anniversary this just past November was interesting with the with COVID. With the COVID, the COVID. I don't know if you saw the shirt with a I little did. mask on it. But yeah, the six, the six foot. Yeah. The we the owner of the building across the street. Who's a he's a member <laughs> in our beer member club, and he opened up his parking lot so that they were basically tailgating out there because we so couldn't So people would come capacity. in here they'd get a crowler and they'd take it over there and they'd drink it in his parking lot. And they'd get the food and they'd go over there. At one point we had more people out there than we did in here. And we had the music <laughs> so and, and the door open so you could open, hear it. And the bands so stuff like that was good here. because we didn't have the seating. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, I'm glad you asked for a homebrew kit. Right. And I'm glad that you didn't get, um, you're discouraged. Right. Because let's face it, in the homebrew world, that first homebrew is not everybody we talk about. Like you said, hey, I'm sure this would surprise you, but you know, I was a home brewer. Right. But there are a lot of home brewers that that first batch. Every time, it just seems like it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how easy would it have been to say, well, I tried it. Let's right. let the let's let yeah. let's just go out to those people that are making the beer. Mm-hmm. But I think for you know people, you know, like fermented adventure, we benefit that you stayed with it. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your ingenuity, your creativity, and your sense of humor to what you do. Because I think that lends to all that Moo Duck does. And uh, we're just we're fans of your brewery. We can't wait to see and how this goes. I know there's a lot of beer that are in barrels back there that are still waiting to be released. Are there any secrets or anything that you want to kind of let people know what might be coming out soon? Uh, so the soonest thing will probably be the tequila barrel. Um, even though that's not even into the barrel yet, um, that'll probably be the soonest one of those because the beer that goes into there is really light uh-huh. and the tequila barrels are usually pretty potent. So you don't need a lot of contact time for that to really soak in a lot of flavor. So the tequila one will be next. Uh, King Slava, of course, like we were saying, is the first Saturday in November. Um, and then the next one would probably be for Woodfest, which isn't until December. So we have uh, some really authentically made, again, we were talking about the Belgian styles. We have uh, a Flanders red style Belgian beer um, in a barrel. Um, so that's a sour beer that sours naturally. So there's all kinds of ways you can make a sour beer. This one, we put the sour... Uh, bugs in it, we let it sit in the barrel for a year and let them do their thing until it gets to the desired level of sourness that we want. So it's not a quick sour, it's not a kettle sour like you see so much today. It's a 
authentically made Belgian style barrel that's fermented in wood. So it's, it's a pretty cool beer. And then uh, we started doing, so we mentioned Mistopheles. Um, we started doing a, a beer for our dog, which is Sora. So Sora. <laughs> a beer for your dog. Or well, name, name, name for your dog. It's called, it's <laughs> called Sora Girl. Sora Girl. Okay. Um, which this year we made um, actually off the same grain bill as King Slava. So we transferred the wort out of King Slava and into the boil kettle. We added more water into the grain bed and made a second beer with it, which is Sora Girl. So we got two beers out of the same. And I was expecting Sora to be a pretty low ABV beer being that it's the second kind of runnings of the beer, of the grain. But it actually went into the barrel at about 8%. So uh, that barrel was unique. Last year we did a bourbon barrel that had maple syrup in it. So it was a real rich maple chocolatey stout that went into it. And our cat has a beer. Or that came out. And your cat has a beer. Now, well, the Sophies did. Our current cat, Barley. His, His name is Barley. Gotcha. So Barley Boys, Barley Wine. So it's a Barley Wine. I had a barley wine not too long ago. This is the first time I had it, and I really enjoyed it. But here's oh, we have the Doppelbach in a barrel. The Doppelbach, too. We have a Doppelbach in a barrel back there. Um. Look, here's what I hear. There's so much to experience <laughs> at Mooduck. And I am so grateful that you took the time today. I know you've got to go strawberry picking, and you've got to do something in the back with, with beer and smoking. Mike and Kristen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, We're grateful for uh, an opportunity to sit down and meet with you, and we, we can't wait to see all the great things that are uh, ahead for Mooduck. Thank you. Awesome. It's fun. It's great. Thank you.